that song right there, that is just, I don't know, it's just something about, just certain songs, the lyrics are right, the anointing's on it, it's just a, it's a powerful song. Hey, let's just thank our worship team, just week in and week out. They just, they love what they do, it shows, and I'm thankful for them. Go ahead and take a seat if you will. Uh, we'll jump into the notes here. You'll need a pen or a pencil for some fill in the blanks. Um, if you want to use the online version, you notes, that's great. And if you learn best by just listening, that's fine too, whatever works best uh, for you. Here's what we're doing uh, this month and uh, maybe for a few more weeks uh, into August. Um, we, we finished up our At The Movie series and then we're taking some time to do some one-off messages. We're just simply, the idea is listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this week and then teaching on that right there. So it pulls out... Um, it pulls out a little more long-term planning, which is a little more comfortable, but it makes it a little more like, okay, God, we're, we're listening. What do you want to say this, this weekend right here um, for this message? So this, this is probably going to be a two-parter that I'm going to do from Psalms 91. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Psalms. Jake Wood, um, by the way, Jake did a great job last couple of weeks, didn't he? Just, yeah, really appreciate him and Kate and Tara, just, just really good. Um, Jake mentioned it this morning. He said the older that he gets, um, the more, how did he, he said the, the more weighty the Psalms become in his life. And I think there's some truth in that, in that like when you're in your, your 20s and your 30s and you read them, they have meaning to them, but life experience gives the Psalms more, more weight to them. Because when David writes about escaping from, from an enemy or from uh, having to deal with death or disappointment or, or something that happened, you realize life experience allows you to view things a little bit different than you do with like, okay, I know that's true, but I've not experienced it yet. Experience changes your perception of things. And so he just brought that up. I thought that was really interesting because it's true. This is one of those Psalms, 91, that regardless of where you are in life, it's got a lot of meaning to it. But if you're at a place where when you look around the world today, let me just identify my audience. Do you ever look around the world today and just go, what in the world is happening? Anybody else ever? Okay. Uh, I, I think we all do that. Uh, Isaiah put it this way, be careful when good is called evil and evil is called good. And I think we live in a day where we've seen uh, very much culturally there's a switch in, in how many of us grew up or what we believed to be true and accurate and like that thing will never be challenged. And it very much is today. And you find yourself not just simply like uh, uh, having an argument. You find yourself on the outside looking in if you believe certain uh, moral or ethical things. It's just simply been uh, very much challenged and changed. Psalms 91 then would be a psalm for people who sometimes look at situations that we're facing culturally or facing in our world. Or even like uh, the STEM shooting that happened a couple of months ago. I mean, how many of you are getting ready? You're buying backpacks and you're buying pencils and you're, you're, you're looking at uh, different, different uh, school equipment to get your kids ready for school. But in the back of your mind is this thought, what am I sending my kids out into this year? Yeah? yeah? Five of us. Wow. <laughs> the rest of you either don't want to admit it or you know a secret. Tell me. Uh, that's, maybe that's what, this is a secret psalm right here. This is God's hope for those who look and go, what am I sending my family out to? What am I going out to? What am I going to do about what's going on? And that's where this Psalms comes in today. So it's Psalms 91, uh, 1 through 7. I'll read it here in just a second. And then I'll do 8 to the end uh, in my part 2 of the message. But before I jump in, when we were studying at our teaching team this week, I think it was Kate who said to me, 
in a study that she was doing, she said ancient Hebrew has no word for tragedy. Listen to this. Ancient Hebrew has no word for tragedy, and here's why. They believed that if something had been done but yet remained to be undone, it's just that God had not had the final say in the situation yet. And that's why they wouldn't allow a word for tragedy because they believe what's impossible with man is possible with God. So that even when you look at our world, even something like what happened at STEM in Colorado in many ways has become known as a place where students aren't safe. What if in our generation, Colorado became the place where revival happened among students? Right? So, so we look at it right now. Think about it. We look at it right now. We think, oh, it's, it's a tragedy. It's just a tragedy. Uh, rather than the word tragedy, how about this? God hasn't had the final say in it yet. It's not had the final say. So what do we do and what's our response and how do we then go into this world and how do we face it? How do we take it on? So I think Psalms 91 is one of these ones uh, every day. If, if, uh, if you're like, I, when I wake up in the morning, I want to connect with God, but I'm not quite sure what to say, how to pray, which direction to go, start right here. Every day, read this, declare this, let this be like the, the pull that you plant for yourself, for your, your spouse, for your children, your children's children, your life. Let this be the thing. Look at these words. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So the place, those who find uh, their life walking hand in hand, presenting themselves to be, to be side by side with God, those who live in the shelter of the Most High find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. Those are powerful words. For He will rescue you from every trap, and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you, a word picture here. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Go a little bit further. Do not be what? Say it again. Do not be of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread. So we got two commandments. Don't be afraid. And don't dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. And then he gets specific. A thousand might fall at your side. Ten thousand might die all around you. But these evils will not touch you. What a powerful prayer that is. And so rather than being faced with like, oh, it's just a tragedy out there. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need a better security system. I need a bigger gun. What, 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 here's what you do. This, he says, I declare, those were his words, not mine, I de declare this over yourself, declare it over your family, declare it over your children every day. And bottom line is this, uh, serving God is not some force field around you that keeps evil from ever happening, but God gets the final say in what happens to you. And this life is not the end all be all if you're a believer. All right, so from those seven scriptures right there, I want to give you three things that I think when facing, like, look, you're preparing for this upcoming school year in many ways. You're preparing financially. You're preparing physically. Uh, you're, you're preparing uh, to move into a, a new year, 2019 and 2020. So are you preparing spiritually? What have you done to prepare spiritually for this next year? What, what, have, you, what have you got in order? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? So these three things might help you to prepare spiritually. And according to these seven verses, here's the first thing that I see. Find your place, man. 
What's your place? Recognize your place. Get in your place. Psalms 91, 1 through 4. Let me read it to you again right here. Those who live. To live, um, it's interesting because some Hebrew words, remember the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, so some Hebrew words are not ancient words that no longer fit into common um, vocabulary. So the word for hotel is lun, L-U-N. So if you were to say in Hebrew, I'm going to go to a hotel, you would, you would, I'm going to go to the lun, L-U-N. Okay, the word lun is the word live right here. So the word live is translated hotel. So here's what the, the writer is, David is actually saying this. Those who reside, those who make their residence, those whose lives are lived next to God. Do you get it? Those who find their place right next to him. Here's what I know, man. Uh, my day, when it is started in the presence of God, it gives me a confidence in how I'm then able to go out and take on the stuff that's around me. And if I don't have that time with God, then my confidence comes from my flesh, and my flesh melts when the pressure is on. Anybody else? Thank you. There's, no, there's some real people. There you are. Knew you were here. You know, whenever I take a break and I'm gone for a few weeks, I always think to myself, I wonder if I've lost my ability to teach. I haven't lost a thing. I'm here. All right. Um, so, so the idea of dwelling is to live. Here's the other meaning. To lodge, to remain, to endure. Listen to this. This is, this is literally in the Hebrew. Uh, to dwell with God, to live with God, means to hang out all night. It's literally the meaning. To hang with God, to abide. It's the modern word for hotel. You present yourself. This is, this is where I'm living. My place in this world is not by myself or over here or even at that church. My place in this world is right next to God. Okay, how about this? Listen to the one I'm about to say. Where you're choosing to dwell is creating a reality that you're living in. And, and you can't be neutral about this. There's no neutrality. You can't say, well, because I don't choose that, I'm... I, I'm, I disagree, I'm going to live another way. Here's what it is. You're either connecting with God and you're being nourished and fed there or this world is who you're connecting to and you're being nourished and fed from this world and there is no in-between whether you like it or not. You only eat for one of two troughs and it's either a trough of light or a trough of this world. And so if your time, your connection, the place that you find, if you're living next to the world, then you're eating what the world is telling you and it's creating a reality or a paradigm of how you see the world, how you see your family, how you see, your, how you see everything and how you feel about the future. And if the world is dictating to you what's happening and what's going on and where you fit in, believe me, it's created a paradigm that you're now living in. It's not a very good one. And God invites you, come to me, come to me. Do you know that uh, Psalms also says... In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, meaning close by, are pleasures forevermore. You cannot get the fullness of joy that you need in your life living distant from God. And because it's not neutral, you're connecting to something in this world. This world does not give you the kind of joy that God offers. Uh, years and years ago, before we started the church, I went to a conference I was trying to absorb, eat, pick up everything I could about how to plan a church. What do you do? What does it look like? What do you need to do? There was a conference in Seattle that an author that I respect who writes books on leadership, John Maxwell. Do you know that name? 
by chance. So he, he crosses over. He, he's a believer, but he doesn't just write Christian books. He writes leadership books and teaches. He works with um, Silicon Valley and Fortune 500 companies. and He's probably the foremost writer of leadership books. And you probably, even if you don't recognize his name, you probably have, have absorbed some of his quotes or some of his philosophies through the year. Uh, but this is what he said you know, like 23 years ago that I heard that made such sense to me. These two things. When he described what leadership is, he boiled it down to this. He said, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. If you have any influence, then you're a leader. And the more influence you have, the greater your leadership is. Does that make sense? So we all, in some realm, shape, or form, are a leader of something. You lead something. So, so to recognize that and to realize that leadership is, in its purest form, nothing more, nothing left, leadership is influence. And then he made this statement that stuck with me. He said, the secret then to being a good leader is to show me what your day, how do you start your day? What, what is your what is your prescribed methodology for your day? If you roll out of bed last minute, get into the shower, and trying to slam coffee in the car on the way to work, you didn't start your day the way that you needed to. And as a believer, this is what he said. Your day started with God. If you can connect with him, if you can engage this way, then you can go this way. But to try to go this way and then use that as the way to go to God, it just, it's backwards. And it messes everything up. God, that stuck with me and that made sense to me. Where you're choosing to dwell first thing in the morning is creating a paradigm that you're living. That's why God invites those who live, those who choose to show up, to present themselves to him, to stand next to him, to be with him first thing in the morning. Wait, go back to the beginning, guys. You're going faster than me. Yeah. No, keep, yeah. Okay, keep, keep, keep backing up. Back up. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High, those who choose to say, this is where I'm standing today, this is where I'm connected, it creates a paradigm. And from that paradigm, so if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor, then I would say to you, you're not connecting with God. And you don't know what you're missing. And that doesn't mean that you're not good at business, and it doesn't mean that you don't love your kids, and it doesn't mean that you're not a good citizen. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's a reality of this connection with God that if you have it, the confidence that comes from it, the, the, uh, uh, the base that you have to operate from. You're, you're, not, uh, you're, you're not, man, when you're connecting with God, the margin that you have to live life is huge. And if you're not, you're living on the bloody red line. And how much does it take to push you beyond the red line? One guy cutting you off? What does it take? You know, if you're like... I've got such a problem with my temper. Can I prescribe something that will help you get in God's presence first thing in the morning and watch what happens with your temper? There's a margin. Is anybody, do you even hear what I'm saying right now? Yes. There's a margin that God gives you. Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Strength is not just my ability to run. Strength, is, it's margin is probably a better word for it. Those who are in God's presence renew their margin. So how much margin do you need? How much world do you live in? Uh, how many kids do you have? <laughs> Tell me about your spouse. Okay, no. Um, your place. This is calling you to recognize where your place is next to God 
and to every day present yourself. Live, don't do it once a week for an hour and 15 or 20 minutes on a Sunday. There's no margin in that. You'll be done by Sunday afternoon. Right now the Broncos aren't playing, but you'll use it all up here in about two months. So, okay, never mind. Your daily routine, where you present yourself. Paul talked about this in more familiar scripture. We use this in teaching about renewing the mind and where the mind should be at, but it really connects to the idea of presenting yourself to God and connecting with God, finding your place with him first thing. So uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, you probably have heard this before, uh, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to a church, not to the world, to a church, brothers and sisters, here's my final say on this, fix your thoughts on these things, what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he goes to this right here. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of what? The God of peace will be with you. If you lack peace, if the margin in your life eats your peace up, if you question existence, and why am I here, and is it even worth being here? Dude, the enemy is eating your peace. Listen to me real quick. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just up here being a blabbermouth. I know exactly what I'm talking about right now. If your, your desire and joy in this life is missing, it's connected to... You've created a dwelling place that there's no life in it. That's why you don't feel life. Where God is, he's the God of life. The Bible says the God of the living, not the God of the dead. The God of the living. In that place with him, your place, it belongs to you. Those who dwell, those who abide, those who live, that place. There's that life. Okay, so the first one is just simply find your place, our place. Here's the second one. What's our job? In this world today, what is your job? Is it to hide out, put your head in the sand, be anonymous, blend in? Uh, don't rock the boat and don't ruffle feathers and don't upset the apple cart? Or uh, is it to like, you know, go in like a kamikaze and just, what, what's your job today? Because somewhere in between those two things is really where the church sees itself. Either I, I don't want to upset the apple cart and I don't want to do anything to offend, or we think that our job then is to pick up a sword and just start slashing. You know, Jesus had to stop Peter from doing that. That's not the way to go into the world. That's not how God wants you to be. So what's your job in the world? I'll give you two things real quick. Jesus, when he talked about uh, his return, he, he said this to his disciples, and he said it to the 12, but he meant it in the, in the future respect because he said uh, um, these words right here, um, occupy, occupy until I return. So be in my place. Another word would be do my father's business until I come back to finish up. So your place, man, is to be doing his job. What's your job? Okay, this Psalms 91, these two verses give you two specific, say that quick, two specific things that you're supposed to be doing in this world. See if you can figure it out because it uses almost the exact same wording. Count to four and you say it with me. One, two, three, four. Do not be afraid. Stop. We do it one more time. Do not be afraid. 
Okay, then we're going to skip down to the next sentence. Do not dread. Do it again. Do not dread. Let's put them together. Do not be afraid and do not dread. In this world, yes or no, people are full of fear and dread. Yeah. I asked you in the very beginning of it, do you look at the world and think to yourself, what in the world has happened? I get it. Culturally, hey, by the way, uh, 2019 is not the first time the world's done something weird. <laughs> it's not the first time Christians have been put in an awkward place. And, and as difficult as you think it is, it doesn't come close to other times in history where we've been pressed very hard. So we need, we need to get a perspective at all times to really think about, man, how it is. But we're given a command. You know, the book of Joshua, all through Joshua, five times in chapter 1, it says, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not give in to this, this thing. And then here, all through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, over and over and over again, God commands his people, do not be afraid, do not dread. So if, if he's telling us not to do it, listen to this, yes or no, fear is a choice. Oh, wow. I, I can, that, that would be a good message to concentrate on a little bit. Fear is a choice. Do you agree? Are you like, I can't help myself. Fear is just a response. I, in a way, I say that that's true. Uh, initially, fight, fight, fight or flight is a, a, a response. But long term, every day, fear becomes a choice, a way of life. Uh, just like uh, being authentic and brave becomes a choice. Bravery is not something that happens accidentally. You make a choice to be brave. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Note to self. Haley, remember, remind me, teach on fear and bravery. Okay. Um, so we're, we're commanded twice in two verses, not to fear, not to dread. Um, those who go to our church know that I have a huge heart for Israel. Okay. Um, so I, I, from time to time, will teach something on it. When the church first started, I used to teach like, okay, here's what the feasts of Israel represented and, and why they're important to us today. So why do we have the Old Testament? If we live in the New Testament, why do we even have the Old Testament? Because the Bible says the Old Testament is a type and a shadow that predicts and Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. So if you understand how seamlessly the Old Testament and the New Testament, may, they're not two separate things. God's plan all along. So... It's, and I don't have time to go there right this second. But here's what. So I used to try to teach on Israel, trying to connect people to their spiritual roots, who you are and, and where you come from. And the Lord told me this a long, long time ago. All of your teaching is going to add up to about this much as opposed to if you'll just take people and let them experience me in that land. So I started a yearly trip where I take as many people uh, as, as who want to. to this, this year we're taking 65 people. We'll do it in just a, a couple of months. I, last year, I think we took close to 90 people. It's, it's just become this thing that's, uh, it's, I don't even have to talk about it much anymore. It, it's people realize from hearing from others what happens. It's not a vacation. It's a spiritual journey. And every believer should go at least once. You should go. It's, it's, it's a tremendous benefit to read your Bible after seeing physically. When people question, why do you believe that? Because I can show you where it took place. That was just an easy, natural answer. Um, so one of the trips that we took early on in the 90s, um, the second intifada was going on there. And Israel was, um, was in the middle of a, uh, not a civil war, but a civil struggle for sure. And one of the, the things that were going on is that suicide bombers were putting on these packs and then going into restaurants and blowing themselves up or getting on a city bus and blowing themselves up. Imagine the terror that that causes. 
Terror is designed to do one thing. It's designed to stop you. You're frozen when it comes to terror. The enemy is the originator of terror. Terror is there to intimidate you, to confuse you, and to stop you, and to make you change. And we went into